Oh, there's some preachers up in here would like to preach this morning. I tell you, who wouldn't want to preach? Oh, goodness. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Thank you uh, so much, all the musicians who've had a part in today. Thank you, Brother Case and everyone, for last Sunday. Everything went great. I listened to you. That's a great thing about being taped. You get to hear everything. And uh, thank you for being here on a rainy day. I know the parking is not always the best here. We're working on that. It'll be done. It'll be done. <laughs> it's going to be done. Amen. Uh, I want you to not sweat Easter. Okay. I know some of you, I know I've already heard you said, oh, Easter, man, we're going to, don't sweat Easter. We're bringing in extra golf carts. They're bringing in extra men to help park. And we're going to be able to put 2,000 in this building Easter Sunday. So don't sweat a thing, all right? Uh, just wear something comfortable. Everybody use deodorant because we're going to be packed. But it's going to be good, amen? It's going to be good. And then let me just say before we get started, I did pass my stress test. And I am going to have surgery sometime this month, so you continue to pray. Uh, and uh, our great staff will take up all the slack, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, you pray for me. Uh, you know, when you get old, man, you, you, get, you worry more about these things. That's why I chose the scripture uh, this month out of Philippians. Uh, it says, be anxious, or actually the King James says, take care of nothing. But the real scripture, the translation is, be anxious in nothing. Don't worry about anything. In other words, it's a command that we're not to worry. That's a command. Now, if I understand Scripture right, that means if we worry, we sin. Because we've been commanded not to. All right, I just thought I'd throw that. I won't charge you for that. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed. I pray you'll continue to let your spirit move freely in this service. Without you, we're nothing, Lord. We're, we're not claiming to be anything. We have no strength. We have no power. We have no vision. It all comes from you. But Lord, may we be willing to say yes, even right now. I pray during this service and during this time of invitation that folks would, Lord, turn their attention toward you and stay focused upon you as Lord and Savior of their life. And Lord, I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross, let people not hear me, but let them see you high and lifted up. And Lord, we're expecting you to do great things today. We need great things. We're a needful people today. And we ask you to have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I know uh, we're talking about movies this morning, uh, so uh, <laughs> we got all of that straight. Uh, I know many of you saw The Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson's movie several years ago, and 
You know, there's a lot of talk about that as we continue our way up to the characters of the cross and, and all today. Uh, a lot of folks had criticism of that. Uh, they even came to the point of calling it pornographic uh, because uh, it showed Jesus for 80 minutes, just despair and gloom. I remind you this morning, Jesus stayed on the cross more than 80 minutes, though. It was some six hours. And so uh, there's no doubt the cross, the crucifixion, is the dirtiest deed that's ever done in all of humanity. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And uh, the scripture tells us here uh, about Jesus and portrays it. And I want us to go over. Uh, it brings up the thought of who really crucified Jesus. A lot of folks say, well, the Jews did. And the Jews certainly had a part in it. They were involved in the crucifixion of our Lord. But uh, the early disciples were Jews. Uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was a Jew. The early church was made up of Jews until Christ let the uh, Gentiles in. Uh, Anti-Semitism is, is alive and well in our country today. And, and the Jewish people have suffered unmentionably. They have agonized and been suffering awfully. And I don't know all the solutions to everything. I do know that I believe the Bible teaches the nation Israel is God's chosen people. And I do know that I think probably we need to be on their side and we need to stand with them and you need to pray for them and pray for peace there. Because people will say, well, the cross is what stirs up everything. The cross doesn't stir up anything. The cross teaches love. We were headed for hell. The cross teaches that God spared not his own son. The cross teaches not only love, it teaches forgiveness. Jesus, even on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The cross teaches also reconciliation. There's no way for us to get to God except through Jesus. That's it. There's no other way. If you're looking for something to do, I'd encourage you to love the Jews and pray for them more than ever before. Now you say, well, if it's not the Jews, it's got to be the Romans. Well, uh, it's true that Pilate was a Roman governor and he allowed the crucifixion through compromise. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the most part, soldiers did what were, they were told to do. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a Marine right here. And, and, and if I forget to do this, Ernesto, remind me to, we were praying for Ernesto. He's leaving today or this afternoon for boot camp. My memory, y'all remind me, make sure we do that before we leave this place today. Amen. Thank you, Ernesto. We had a Marine stand here, and some of y'all were gasping for breath because he said, we've been taught to destroy the enemy, and that's what we're going to do. Well, that's what a good soldier does. That's what a good soldier does. So if it's not the Romans and it's not the Jews, who in the world is it? I suggest to you this morning, it's us. Every one of us. In that movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson only directed it. He didn't play a part in it. But there was one part he did play in it. He requested. And that was the part when the hammer was driving the nails into the hands of Jesus. That was Mel Gibson's arm you saw the close-up with in the hammer. Because Gibson wanted to understand that he's the one that nailed Jesus to the cross. 
We need to understand that very same thing. It's us that nailed Jesus to the cross. Now, I want to change gears here and go over to Matthew 27 and get on our theme of what is the characteristics or what brings us up or who's the people that come up to the cross. And today in Matthew 27, we'll see a couple of them. First of all, I want us to know about what kind of people it is that were there that day. Who, who was it, not necessarily who, but what kind of people was it that crucified Jesus? The first kind of people that's evident here is self-righteous religious people crucified Jesus. Matthew 27, 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. These are the religious leaders of the day. They're the top dogs in the, in the convention. They're, they're the, they were the strict of the strictest. Uh, they wouldn't eat an egg that was uh, laid on the Sabbath. That's how strict they were. Uh, if a flea was to get on them on the Sabbath, they wouldn't try to find it and get it off of them until sundown because they would be accused of hunting. If a nail got in their shoe, they couldn't take it out on the Sabbath because that would be work on the Sabbath. You say, well, I'm, these are not biblical laws. No, these are their laws. These are their laws. And I want to tell you, I don't care what generation it is, it can be today. The biggest drawback to a movement of God is the self-righteous leaders today. I saw the report Wednesday, ETBU, that Kayla put on. Well, they had a revival over there. You can mark it down. Now, don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you, the big shots in religion are comfortable in what they're doing. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm a rebel. I want to see God do something he ain't never done before. I mean, I believe he can do it. I think he needs to do it again. But, I, but I'm telling you, mm, I went to ETBU in the early 70s after James Robinson got thrown out. There, were, there was a movement then, but, man, people wanted to quieten it down, quieten it down. That's why when I went to college at ETBU, and I, this is just carnal on my part. I'm sure it's a lot more spiritual there. I couldn't find a church in Marshall I wanted to go to. The only time we went to church in Marshall was on Sunday night because they'd fight who had the best meals between Central and First. And if you're in college, brother, you go where the food is. Amen? That's exactly what you do. Hey, let me tell you something about the religious leaders, though, of that day. They would be more faithful than you are. They tied every one of them religiously. They would all work in the church. That was the kind of people they were. But they'd all die and go to hell because they'd never repented of, the, of their sin. I was raised in a sawmill all my life, in and out until I left Corrigan there. You could take an old twisted uh, tree and, man, you could zoom that thing through the saw and zoom that way and zoom, zoom, and you'd have a beautiful board. But when you went down and looked at the core of that board, 
the heart of that board, it was still just as crooked as it ever was. And that's exactly what self-righteousness does. It looks at the external, but on the inside, the heart never has been changed. And that's what these were. These self-righteousness deal with external. They're going to trudge their way to church. They're going to pay their tithe. They're going to sing their song. They're going to kneel and pray. And they're going to go through the rituals. But many of them, surrounded by their baptismal certificates and good attendance certificates, are going to go to hell because their heart has never been changed. So we see the self-righteous people there. And then we see some hard-hearted hypocrisy there. Judas, which had betrayed him, the Bible says in Matthew 27, when he saw he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I've sinned and I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? He said, see thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. Judas was a hypocrite. He was not only just a hypocrite, he was a good hypocrite. He was good. He was a good counterfeit. Man, he was with the disciples and Jesus for three solid years. When they're in the upper room there that night, Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. Not a soul looked at Judas and said, I bet it's him. He wasn't just a hypocrite. He was a good hypocrite. I had a lady just this week in Albertson's Monday say, Preacher, I can't come to Woodland Hills because there's some hypocrites there. I stepped back and I said, say it ain't so. <laughs> now, when you get old, you can go ahead and speak your piece. And I said, lady, I've determined a long time ago, you can go to church with hypocrites and go to heaven, or you can stay home and go to hell with them later on. It's just that simple. There, hey, I go to doctors, but I know doctors who are quacks. I go to lawyers, but I know lawyers who are shysters. Just because, you know, something's counterfeit. Let me tell you, some of your money can be counterfeit. You better not use none of it. Let me tell you what you do. Bring it right down here and pile it on that bench, and I'll take care of it for you, okay? Because it's counterfeit. You may not know it. Since it's counterfeit, we can't do it. Well, let me tell you what the counterfeit is. Ooh, this is good. There is no reason to counterfeit anything unless you've got the real thing. The reason you've got counterfeit Christians in the church is because you've got real Christians in the church. And they want to be like real Christians. And the reason you've got people that want to be like God is because he's a real thing. Jesus is the real thing. So you've got counterfeits all over wanting to be like him. They're there at the foot of the cross. He was a hypocrite. I wonder to myself today, Judas, where's your friends at now? Where are those you run around with now? Where are they at now? Uh, the question this morning we need to ask ourselves is, are you saved? I'm not talking about are you religious? Remember these name tags, they burn off on the way down or they fall off on the way up. But it's not going to make any difference what you were. It's going to make a difference in who you knew. The third thing characteristics that's there at the cross that's in this scripture here verses 11 through 13 is there was a compromise you see Jesus stood before the governor and he's talking now about Pilate and, the, and and he said are you the king of the Jews and Jesus said well you say I am 
He said, well, answer these accusations. And Jesus said not a word. Didn't say a word. Pilate goes on in verse 24. He saw he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tumult was made. He took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Hmm. And then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I really believe scripture teaches that Pilate didn't want to be in this mess. I don't think he wanted to do nothing with Jesus whatsoever. I think he found him to be without fault. He said, I find no fault in this man. The question, though, with him is, what am I going to do with Jesus? He's inescapable. He's unavoidable. How am I going to do that? I'm trying to straddle the fence. I'm trying to be good on both sides, and yet they're pressuring me from all sides. He heard the voice of reason. He heard the voice of revelation. His own wife came out there and said, I had a dream last night. Don't bother this man. Don't you mess with him. And yet he did. The reason, the revelation, he had his conscience within him. He knew he was innocent. I don't want anything to do with him. But they put him in a corner. They said, look, if you don't let us crucify Jesus, we're going to go back to Caesar. And we're going to tell Caesar that his man over here, Pilate, is sided up with Jesus who wants to be king over here. And he's going to take you. You're going to be killed. So Pilate says, look, all I can do is compromise. I got the compromise. Well, I just remind you in Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said this. Those that are not with me are against me. I, I don't know what it would cost you this morning to be saved. Some of you this morning would like to be saved, but you're saying people are going to laugh at me if I get saved. Some of you this morning say, hey, I want to be saved, but man, the people at work, they're going to condemn me. They're going to call me a holy roller. There's some of you this morning say, I need to be saved, but my whole family is lost and they're going to disown me. What's it going to cost for you to be saved this morning? What's it going to cost? And then the question really is, are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to pay for the cost? There's self-righteousness there. There's hypocrisy there. There's compromise there. And then there's persuaded people to be conformed there. Matthew 27, 20 says, The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. I think maybe there's a kind of an uprising here. I'm reading between the lines. You don't know that it didn't happen, and I don't know that it did. But I think Pilate is saying, hey, I'm going to deliver one to you. I'll give you Jesus over here. If he comes, he's going to go ahead and heal people and do good to people and be a blessing to people. Or I can turn loose of Barabbas over here. He's a known murderer. He's incited treachery against the government. He's tried to overthrow the government. He's a killer. Which one do you want? I think the people were beginning to say, oh, wait a minute. Let, let, whoa, let's think this over. But the Bible says the leaders persuaded them. They persuaded them to say, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Wow. Easily persuaded. We got folk the same way. There are folk today who say, hey, I'd rather have gambling than I would Jesus. I'd rather have alcohol and booze than I would Jesus. 
I'd rather have drugs and be stoned out of my head than I would have Jesus. I'd rather have prostitution than I would have Jesus. I'd rather live the way I want to live my life rather than have Jesus come in and show me how to live my life. That decision is being made everywhere today, just like it was at the cross. Release all of these things to us. And I love that part. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. I would encourage you. Broad is a way that leads to destruction. Don't go with the crowd. Most of the time, the crowd, the direction it's going is the wrong direction. I didn't say all the time, but most of the time. It's the wrong direction. You college kids, high schoolers, you business people, you say, preacher, now wait a minute. You're you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Because you said... They were persuaded, and you're preaching against them being persuaded. And here you are today trying to persuade us. I am. My persuasion comes based on the Word of God. It comes based on the truth. And I would ask you today to go back and be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because that's what God called us to do. Yeah. There's also some cruelty, hardened cruelty at the cross. Verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, gathered unto him the whole band. They stripped him, put on a scarlet robe, platted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, a reed in his right hand, bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat upon him. They took the reed, smote him on the head. After that, they mocked him and took the robe off him and took the robe off from him, put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. He was brutalized by these people. They even played games at his feet at the foot of the cross. While he's suffering and dying, they're gambling at the foot of the cross. They're laughing. They're mocking. All sensitivity is gone. Oh, I submit to you, we're in that same situation now in our world today. I mean, we've seen in the last couple of years, I don't know how many women have been raped with people standing around them watching. Hmm cruelty. I mean, who, who goes into a school building and kills innocent children? Someone who is hardened, cruel. There's also indifference there. Verse 36, it ties in also, but uh, sitting down, they watched him there. There they are, the crowds watching Jesus as he's dying on the cross. Just like some who will listen to this message, you'll hear it. And you'll say, now, what was that fifth point again? And it'll, it'll be good. It was good. But it doesn't move your heart. A casual indifference. Luke tells us that the crowd was sitting there smoting their breast. It's going to take more than a pious gesture to be saved. Listen to me this morning. Cowboy, it's not enough to tip your hat to Jesus. You're going to have to bow your knee. You're going to have to get on your face before God and say, I'm a sinner. His suffering moves me. And there's, there's a crowd. They're sitting there. And then lastly here I see there's skeptics there, cynics, skepticism. 
Bible says they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save yourself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. My soul, I, I, I know Jesus had to do it, but in me, I'd have come off of that cross just for a few minutes, just for a few minutes, just to shut some people up, amen? Don't you feel like doing that sometime? Just, just give me a few minutes. I'll get back up on the cross. I'll get back. I'll finish. But I just want to show these idiots that they're not right. Skepticism. They misquoted his word. If you are the son of God, they minimized his death. Come down from the cross. Skeptics, wisecracks, every crowd. Maybe some here this morning. Have mercy. I pray not. But it may be some here this morning. See, a man is not a sinner because he's a skeptic. He's a skeptic because he's a sinner. Now, unbelief doesn't come out of the head. It may show up in the head, but it comes out of the heart. Jesus said, be less, beware, lest there be any of you who has an evil heart of unbelief. You say, now, preacher, be honest with you. I'm just an intelligent person. I've heard this. <sighs> he's a genius. He just, he's, just, he's so smart. He can't understand. He's not smart. He's rotten with sin. That's what's wrong. That's what keeps people from understanding Jesus. Sin. And when you come to repent of that sin, suddenly Jesus opens the freeway up. And you begin to see him for who he is. John 7, 17, Jesus said, My doctrine is not mine, but is his who sent me. And if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God. Mr. Skeptic this morning, you can know if you by faith will trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God that Jesus died on the cross. He didn't have to die. Listen to me this morning. Jesus was not a martyr. He was not a victim. This is not an accident of what's happened here. This was pre-planned. He said this, no man taketh my life from me. The Bible says in Romans 8.32 that he spared not his own son. Romans 8.32. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Now, I know everybody in here is not level-headed. Everybody in here is not common sense. I know some of you pretty good. But you level-headed people, you people that's got common sense, think with me just a minute, would you? And we'll try to get everybody else on the same page. Just common sense, level-headed people. If God would not spare his son for the sin of me and you. Wasn't his sin, he didn't sin. It was our sin. So if God would not spare his son for our sin, if he wouldn't say, look, Jesus, man, you've been a great son. You're my only son. I'm going to cut you a little slack. Let me tell you, if you think that happened, you don't understand the holiness of God or you don't understand the awfulness of sin. One of those two things. God did not cut any slack on the cross. And listen to me, there's going to be two ways, one of two ways that you're going to pay for your sin. Number one, you can be pardoned by Christ this morning and your sin will be paid for through the blood of Jesus. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you're going to be punished in hell for it for eternity. 
But you're either going to be pardoned here or you're going to punish in hell forever. That's what you're going to do. You say, preacher, that's, <laughs> that's not many choices. Well, you know, God's God. He don't have to give choices. I want to tell you, Jesus died on the cross not so you could get by, not so you could do better. He died on the cross so you could have abundant, everlasting life here on this earth as well as in all of eternity. If you're not saved yet here in this morning, could I just beg you and plead with you? Would you just consider you have no idea what this afternoon holds? You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no idea. I don't want to just bring you to a point where you feel sorry and say, well, you know, the preacher's halfway right. I want you to come to the point where you say, if I don't get saved today, I may be lost for eternity. I don't want nobody moving around unless you just got an emergency. And I'm asking, would you just bow your head? If you're here in this place this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you'd say, Brother Charles, the truth is, I've never really been saved. I've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray for me. I want you just to slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. Wouldn't embarrass you for nothing. Just slip up your hand and say, look, I've never been saved. I need to be saved this morning. Anybody got guts enough to do that? Anybody? In this place? Thank you. Anyone else? If you're here, sitting here this morning, and you've never been saved, I want you to give your heart to Christ today. Would you pray something like this? You can't be saved with my prayer. But if it's the desire of your heart, it can be your prayer. If you just pray this with me, dear God, pray it silently, but you've got to pray it fervently. I know that you love me, and I know you want to save me. Jesus, you died to save me. You shed your blood on that cross before me. Just tell him that. Thank you for doing that. Now, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to you. I receive you into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I give my life back to you. Save me, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me. Forgive me. And begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Mm. if you prayed that prayer we're going to sing in just a few moments and I'm going to ask you it's going to take some guts it's going to take some boldness to get up from where you are come to one of these here in the front myself or brother Case or brother Jason and say I prayed that prayer and let's counsel with you and you leave here today a new person totally different from when you came in maybe today there are others of you that need a church home. We open our arms to you at Woodland Hills. And if you know you're saved and you want to be part of this family of faith, I pray you'll come today. Maybe there are others here who watched these be baptized earlier. And in your heart, the Lord's already said, I know you're saved and I thank you that you've been saved, but you never were really scripturally baptized. You've never been baptized. You need to do that to be obedient to me so that I can begin to bless you. As soon as we start to sing in just a moment, all over this congregation, 
I'm going to ask you to begin to come. Maybe to kneel at the altar and pray, to be saved and say, I've been saved, to join this church, to be baptized, or for any other reason. I'm going to ask you not to wait. Nobody's moving around. Nobody's getting ready to go. Lord, we need you right now. Oh, how we need you. Would you come and fill this place with your spirit? Let those who, Lord, are closest to death and hell and they don't even know it. Lord, help them to be saved today before it's eternally too late. Have your way in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And we'll give you the glory and we'll give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.